following message is from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, go to trinitygracesa.org. Well, welcome once again to Trinity Grace. So glad you're here, especially if you're a guest this morning. Glad that you're here. This morning, we're going to start a new series that is going to last us through the first week of June. So we're going to be looking at a new series over the next five weeks together. And if you have a Bible, you can turn it to the book of Jonah, which is found towards the last part of your Old Testament. And please feel no shame to take a peek at your table of contents. That's what it's there for. It'll be easier to find Jonah that way, promise me. Jonah, even though it might be hard to find in the Bible, is one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture. If you grew up in the church, what you likely remember about this short book is the fact that a prophet is swallowed by a large fish. It's kind of the thing that stands out from these pages. And if you grew up in the church, that's what you remember. People have come to think of this book about a giant fish. That's what comes to mind. But as you read, you realize that this short book contains just 48 verses and only 10 of those verses deal with the fish. And so if all we think about is a giant fish, when we think about Jonah, it means we're missing 80% of the message of the book that this, uh, that this prophet is trying to tell us. The main message of the book of Jonah is that God is one who is deeply compassionate toward all people. And that message is one that is so important for you and I to hear, especially as we seek to plant a new church for this part of San Antonio. You could summarize the message of the book of Jonah with a verse found in 2 Peter verse 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is a book that shows forth God's heart for the world. This book shows us that God is not just passionate about us as his covenant people, those that have claimed to follow him. He's also passionate about those who are not yet in this room, uh, about those who have not yet confessed the name of Jesus. God is passionate about those who don't yet know him. And we see through Jonah that he's passionate about those also who have grown callous and apathetic to the wonder of his love and mercy. This is a book about how God sends a prophet to communicate his merciful heart to those who do not yet know God. And it's why he sends us out into the world as well, to tell the world of God's glory, of his compassion, of his love, of his mercy, of his grace. And the question we're going to be looking at as we study this book over the next five weeks is, are we those who've embraced God's goodness and compassion? And are we those who move out and invite others to experience that goodness and compassion with us? We'll plan to start at the beginning this week. And instead of overwhelming everyone with background information about this book, which you'll likely forget after this week, We're going to plan to pepper in that information and background over the next few weeks as we work our way through the book. I'll just farm things in as we need to know them. So with that in mind, let's start at the beginning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It's printed for you in your bulletin if you haven't yet found it in your Bible. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What's your country and of what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is God's word, and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Maya Angelou, who is a poet, a historian, a civil rights activist, is famous for having said one of my favorite short quotes and truisms. She once said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. I experience this truism often during my time working with college students. It was a fairly normal experience to sit across from a guy or a girl over lunch or coffee, and we'd be talking about life. And then it always inevitably led to us talking about relationships and romance. It's that time of life for these students. And it was a common experience for me to hear the person I was speaking with describe how their significant other was not measuring up to expectations. And it was normally always the case that the guy or the girl that I was talking to was in a relationship with someone who had established a track record of being inconsiderate and unreliable and sometimes even just downright rude, like mean. And it was almost always the case that the person telling me about the disappointment after disappointment would also be the one that began to defend their significant other for their behavior once I started pressing in a little bit with some questions, making excuses for what they had to endure, trying to convince themselves and me that their significant other was not really like what they normally experienced. He's really a great guy if you get to know him, or she really doesn't act like this all the time, just every once in a while. And that's when the wise words of Maya Angelou would come to mind. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. 
In other words, if someone consistently acts in a certain way, when they show you who they are over a long stretch of time, there comes a time when you've got to begin to believe what they're showing you. Now, this doesn't mean that people can't change. That's not what I'm saying. But you've got to believe what they're telling you about who they are, generally speaking. And as we spend the next few weeks looking at Jonah, it'll be worthwhile keeping Angelou's words in mind. We're going to see a number of different people show us who they are. We're going to see God's actions and his intentions. We're going to see Jonah's actions and his intentions. We're going to see those who don't yet know God and their actions and their intentions. And as we see them, they're going to show us who they are. Hopefully, we're going to believe what we see and we'll be changed by what we believe. This morning, we see three different people show us who they are. And we're called to believe what they show us. Let's spend some time looking at these three characters that jump out from chapter one. The characters are God, Jonah, and the sailors. God, Jonah, and the sailors. And we'll take a few minutes looking at God's heart, Jonah's response, and the sailors' fear. Okay? God's heart, Jonah's response, the sailors' fear. And as we do, I think we'll learn some things along the way and hopefully believe what we see. First, let's spend a few minutes taking a look at God's heart. Our passage begins with a familiar refrain that you see throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the prophets. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. Now, this is a special signal. It's not a benign beginning, kind of like once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. This is a common refrain used over a hundred times in the Old Testament that occurs when God wants to speak. It occurs when God wants to speak. It signals the fact that salvation is coming. A creative work is about to happen. God has a word for Nineveh, and he's calling a prophet Jonah to take that word to an appointed people. What we see is that God is calling his prophet Jonah to take his word of grace and compassion to the city of Nineveh. And this might not sound like a big deal to us sitting here today, but you've got to understand that this would have been a radical call for a prophet of God's people to receive, and especially Jonah. You see, prophets were normally called to speak directly to God's people in the Old Testament. Sometimes prophets would speak against other nations. They would say something to other nations in the form of judgment or oracle. But this is really the only case that we have in the entire Old Testament where a prophet is called to go directly to a foreign nation, to make a foreign nation their sole priority and mission. A nation outside of Israel to share God's offer of forgiveness and to call them to repent. God is calling Jonah to do something that he has no category for. To go to a foreign nation with a message of God's grace, taking an offer of forgiveness to those who are outside of God's covenant people. Jonah would have had no category for this kind of call. On top of that, Jonah, we know, likely know, has strong nationalistic and patriotic tendencies. We actually see Jonah mentioned in another book of the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 14. We see that he's a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam. And he encouraged the king Jeroboam to expand the borders of Israel. 
Jonah was passionate about seeing the influence of Israel extended. He was a patriot who wanted to see the kingdom of Israel dominate other kingdoms physically and politically. So to be sent to a rival nation would have been very hard for Jonah. It would have gone against all of his instincts. We see that he couldn't stomach the idea. In fact, he hated the idea so much that he decides not to follow God's call, likely because he can't stand taking good news to his enemies. On top of that, Nineveh, which is called a great city in verse 2, it was the capital city of Assyria at some point, is known for its culture and commerce and wealth and military might. But it was also known for its brutality and its violence. It was known as a terrorist state by those surrounding it in many ways. In fact, the prophet Nahum, two books ahead of Jonah, speaks out against Nineveh's brutality and violence. And in Nahum 3 verse 1, he says this, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Nineveh was a city of violence known for its brutal treatment of those it conquered. The Assyrians were notorious for amputating uh, hands and feet for gouging out eyes, for skinning and impaling their captives. The final verse of Nahum's book emphasizes the violence of the Assyrians by asking a rhetorical question, who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nineveh, who has not felt your endless cruelty? Well, all of these factors lead to the fact that, God, that God's call of Jonah was extraordinary. And it reveals something of God's heart that was difficult for Jonah to embrace. And I think it's often difficult for us to embrace as well. And it's the fact that God cares deeply about those who don't yet know him. That God loves his enemies. That God calls us to care for those who don't deserve to be loved. Who don't deserve to be cared for. It's a hard fact that Jonah has to grasp but it's who God has always been. Paul touches on this aspect of God's heart in Romans 5 verse 8 when he says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are still enemies, Christ gave up his life for us. God wants to show his mercy and his love to his enemies and he's calling Jonah to take that message to this great brutal city. It shows us who God is and what he wants. He wants all kinds of people to know him. He wants all kinds of people to repent and to receive his grace. God is passionate about his enemies. He loves them and he wants them to be a part of his family. Reminds me of how the former president of Redeemer Seminary in Dallas describes this aspect aspect of God's character in kind of a humorous way. He describes God's desire to see all kinds of people experience his love. And as he thinks about that desire of God, he talks about a cat lady, a cat lady. You know, the lady that we've all experienced who collects all kinds of cats, right? It's the lady who can't help herself. She takes in the mangy and the maimed and the starving and those that are crippled It's the lady who cares for the cats that no one else longs to care for. Well, the seminary president, at the risk of sounding irreverent, I think, goes on to liken the crazy cat lady to God. He says that God is like the crazy cat lady. He can't help himself. 
He wants the mangy and the maimed and the starving. He wants those who don't want anything to do with him. It's who he is. He can't help it. And I love that image. As irreverent as it might be, I I love the image that God wants to accept all that would call on his name, that would repent and believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. That's the kind of God we follow. And it begs the question as we read Jonah, do we mirror God's heart for the lost? Do we resemble God's passion for the person who doesn't claim to follow Jesus? Do we care about those who don't necessarily deserve our attention and our care? We see from the beginning verses of Jonah that that is God's heart. He sends Jonah to Nineveh, which would have been unthinkable. In fact, the task that God had given him was so unthinkable that, God, that Jonah decides that he's not going to do it. He's just not going to do it. When God calls Jonah to take his love and offer of mercy to his enemies, Jonah begins to think, Tarshish is supposed to be really nice this time of year. I think I might check that place out. After receiving the call, Jonah takes a 50-mile trek to Joppa outside of Israel where no one will ask him any questions. And he hops on a ship to Tarshish, which was the opposite end of the world, likely somewhere near Spain. It would have been the end of the earth to the folks in Jonah's day. So God calls Jonah to go east, but Jonah goes west. God calls Jonah to go overland, but Jonah goes to the sea. God calls Jonah to go to this great city with his love and offer of forgiveness, but Jonah decides to go to Tarshish. And the way he responds, Jonah demonstrates hatred. He demonstrates his lack of compassion. Jonah would rather see Nineveh judged than receive the mercy of God. And it reminds me of a YouTube video that was put out by Penn Gillette, uh, the part, one part of the magician duo Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette has a YouTube video where he's speaking directly into his phone's video recorder. He's videoing a selfie. It's about three minutes long. And he's talking about a man that he met at one of his shows earlier in the day. And this man had left a big impression on Gillette. In fact, he left such a big impression on him that he took time to record and post this video to his YouTube channel, which has likely had hundreds of thousands of views up at this point. And Gillette talks about, as he speaks into the camera, he talks about leaving his show that night and he runs into a man in the crowd waiting for an autograph. You know how folks wait after the show to see the performers? Well, this man was doing that. And this man really stood out. Gillette says this. He says, he looked me right in the eyes and he was really kind and complimentary of the show. And the man in the midst of talking with Gillette hands him a pocket-sized Bible. You know, the kinds that the Gideons hand out with the Psalms and the New Testament in it. And he said this to Gillette. um, I wanted you to have this. I'm a businessman. I'm sane, not crazy. Feeling the need to tell Gillette that he's not crazy for handing him a Bible. And Gillette goes on to talk about how much he appreciated this man for caring for him. And Gillette, you've got to know, is not a follower of Jesus. He's actually an atheist. But he goes on to say that he does not respect people who don't proselytize. Gillette says in his YouTube video, he says this, How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell someone that? 
He cared enough about me to share this message with me. And it struck him so much that he took time to go and record this video of himself saying so. How much do you have to hate somebody to know that eternal life is possible and not tell them that? Well, the Ninevites could say the same thing about Jonah. How much do you hate us? Jonah, how much do you have to hate us that you're not following God's call on your life to come share the love and mercy of God with us. Jonah is directly called to speak out against Nineveh's evil, and he wouldn't have been called to do it if there wasn't a chance for their repentance and turning back to God. There was a prospect of success. Jonah could have been fairly certain that he was going to have success if God was calling him to this. And Jonah was the perfect messenger just like we are, because who better to take the message of God's goodness out than those who've tasted God's goodness themselves? But Jonah hates the Ninevites, so much so that he turns and runs to Tarshish. We see Jonah running this morning, and I think that we're often prone to do the same thing. I wonder what makes you want to jump on the first ship to Tarshish. What makes you want to jump on the first ship to Tarshish? Maybe it's God's call to simply share the gospel with your neighbor that you talk to on a daily basis. Man, I'd rather jump on that ship than do that. Maybe it's God's call to, uh, or the tug that God has placed on your heart to consider maybe fostering or adopting children. Man, before I do that, I'd rather hop on that ship. Maybe it's the sense that you need to go to counseling with your spouse to move toward more connection and health. Instead of thinking about that, I'd rather hop on the ship to Tarshish immediately. Tarshish sounds so nice. Sounds so nice. We often long for Tarshish. When it comes to what God wants us to do, we'd rather take off in the opposite direction, literally and figuratively. We do it all the time. We're longing for Tarshish when we find ourselves longing for another spouse. We find ourselves wondering in our minds, what would it be like to be married to that person? We're longing for Tarshish when we'd rather not be around God's people in community, rather not have accountability, rather not anyone know who we are. We're longing for Tarshish when it seems much more fun to give in to the temptation to lust or to greed or to gossip rather than obey God. We'd rather jump on the ship. We love the idea of Tarshish. Our hearts are naturally inclined to Tarshish. Like Jonah, we often jump on that ship to Tarshish. And like Jonah, we always pay a fare. You always pay a fare when you get on that ship. It costs us. And not only does it cost us, it costs those that we encounter when we flee God like Jonah does. It costs Jonah the fact that he's thrown overboard and it costs the sailors in our story and their anxiety and the fact that they're forced to make hard decisions that they never would have wanted to make. It always costs something to get away from God. You and your neighbor always pay a price. It costs a lot to flee from God's present, but it's always free to return. It costs nothing to come back. At least it costs us nothing. It costs God a lot. What we see in our passage is that God is passionate about getting us back. He won't let us off the hook to sail to Tarshish without coming for us. And that is grace. The storms that we experience in life that bring us back to God are a grace. 
I would always look at folks and tell them that if there is no storm in your life, if you don't have kind of a, a holy discomfort with what you're doing when you're engaged in something you know you shouldn't be doing, you know what that means? That means God doesn't care anymore. And that's the worst place you could possibly be. Storms don't feel that way in the moment. That's, that's for sure. But they're God's way of caring for us Sometimes they're the only thing that will get our attention as we attempt to run the opposite direction. So Jonah runs and God sends a huge storm to get him back. And in verse four, we read that it was a storm sent by God. The sailors who would have known how to handle a storm on the Mediterranean, they knew what they were doing. They'd likely seen storms many, many times. They grew fearful and scared because of the size and the scope of this storm. This storm was different. It was sent by God. And we see in verse five that the sailors, which is our last point, were so afraid that each began to cry out to their God. Maybe you've heard the common saying that there's no atheists in a foxhole. There's no atheists in a foxhole. It's what we see with these sailors in our passage this morning. Reminds me of a song that I love by Regina Spector entitled Laughing With, where she sings this. No one laughs at God in a hospital No one laughs at God in a war. No one laughs at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine tests. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from the party yet. These sailors, they're not laughing at God. They were crying out. They realize the predicament that they're in, even if they were misguided in who they were calling out to. These sailors are showing us that everyone was created to worship. Everyone you meet was made in God's image with worship built into their spiritual DNA. And fear is the thing that drives these sailors to seek God. They feel small against the backdrop of the storm that they're encountering and they're scared. And while they're afraid, while they're screaming out, while they're searching for a God who can deliver them from the storm... Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Where is Jonah's compassion? He doesn't even care. He's got no feeling for these men. He knows the God who created it all, and he's completely apathetic. These men are afraid, and Jonah could come up and calm their fear if he decided to. And isn't that oftentimes us as we think about our friends and our neighbors? Where is our compassion? You know, everyone you meet at a deep level is living with some sort of fear. Everyone you meet is scared to some degree or another, and realizing this should stoke deep compassion from each of our hearts. Did you know that the workaholic is scared? The workaholic is scared. They're scared that they won't have an identity if they don't produce, if they don't keep working. Did you know that the alcoholic is afraid? They're afraid they won't be able to cope with the tragedy of life without summing something to numb their heart. Did you know that the mom who feels pressure to project the image of a perfect family to the world is really just scared? Scared that she'll be seen as a failure if something seems off in her family? Did you know that your friends and neighbors are scared and they're looking for something to worship, something that would take their fear away? 
Are we in touch with that fear? Are we in touch with the fear that our friends experience? You might ask, how can I work toward that? How can I be better aware of what people are battling and the fears that they have? Well, do you know the fears that you have in your own life? It's a great place to start. The first step to this kind of sensitivity is to know yourself. You'll be surprised to find that in your particulars, the things that you particularly struggle with, you'll often find what's universal. Do you struggle with self-worth and overwork and crippling lust and soul-crushing greed? Chances are really good that the folks sitting around you this morning do too. Chances are good that so do your coworkers and so does the mom that you see at school pickup and so do your neighbors that you rub shoulders with on a daily basis. This is the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a group of folks who are following Jesus, who know what people are scared of, who know what people look to in order to find significance, and who are compassionate towards people's fears and point them to the God who can satisfy their desires and relieve their fears. It's what Jonah could have done from the very beginning, but he's too apathetic. He's too cold to God's call. He's too hardened to God's purposes and passion in this world. In their fear, these sailors, they give Jonah an amazing opportunity to accomplish his mission. They almost throw him a softball. It reminds me of a friend of Rachel a few weeks ago who is a Muslim and asked her, why do you call Good Friday good? Like just out of the blue, why do you call Good Friday good? And what a great question. What a great opportunity to share the gospel. And it's the opportunity Jonah finally has here. Tell them about God, Jonah. Have compassion. God is setting you up in a sense to do this. And you get the sense that he kind of does almost half-heartedly when he's forced to. And what happens? They believe. They believe. These pagan sailors are much more sensitive than Jonah is. And isn't that ironic? And it's so often the case in our own lives that the ones God calls us to reach are often more ready to hear than we are to speak. Not always, but a lot of the times that's the case. You see from our passage that they don't want to kill Jonah. They're men of integrity while he's completely unconcerned for them. And it's amazing as you think about this scene against the backdrop of the Gospels where the religious ones are the ones who have no problem killing an innocent man named Jesus of Nazareth. Here you've got the pagans who try their hardest not to kill a man who is not innocent. God cares so much for these pagan sellers that he's willing to see one thrown into the storm in place of the many. It's what we see happening with these sailors casting lots. It's like what we think of casting dice or drawing straws. They identify the person who can relieve the storm from them by casting lots and the lot falls on Jonah, the prophet of God, the one who was supposed to have compassion, the one who should have spoken words of truth, the one who could have saved them all and finally did despite himself. What God wants for Nineveh, Nineveh, he does for these sailors in chapter 1 of Jonah. And at the end of the passage, these sailors are calling God by his covenant name. In the Hebrew, they're calling him Yahweh. Yahweh, his personal name, they're worshiping and sacrificing in a genuine, heartfelt way to Jonah's God. 
They're worshiping and sacrificing because God made a way for them. One was thrown into the storm in order to save the many. One thrown into the storm in order to save the many. It's what Paul hits on in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, when he says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. By one man's life and sacrifice, many will be brought into relationship with God. And as you think about the life of Jesus, it's so similar. Through our study of this book over the coming four weeks, my hope is that we'll see that Jesus is the better Jonah. In fact, Jesus calls himself in the Gospels the greater Jonah. My hope is that we'll see that Jesus is the better Jonah. Jesus is a prophet sent from God who had endless compassion. He's a prophet who was sent to wicked, desperate people. He was sent to a group that was lost. He was sent to a group of people who hated him, a group of his enemies. This prophet Jesus was sent to us. And as you read the Gospels, you see that the lot eventually fell on him. The lot eventually fell on him, on this prophet, and he was thrown into the storm. On the cross, he was thrown into the ultimate storm of God's wrath and judgment. Jesus was the one who was sacrificed, one for the many. And because of this prophet who fulfilled God's mission, who demonstrated God's compassion, we know God himself. We know his love. We know his compassion. Because of our true prophet Jesus, we are brought back in. And we're going to be asked a question over the next four weeks as we study Jonah. In light of all this, where's our compassion? Are we taking God's call that he's given Jonah, that Jesus has accomplished for us out to our friends and neighbors here in San Antonio? And I hope that you'll come back and hear more as we work our way through this book together. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you are the true prophet that we need. All prophets that we read about, no matter how great they are in the Bible, are a small shadow pointing to you, the true prophet who has come to show us God's love fully and completely. We pray this morning that as we embrace that love, that you would make us those who move out to love others well. We pray that you would continue to bless us and make us blessings to our friends and our neighbors. Make us those who are moving out to share your love and compassion with those who do not yet know you. We pray that your spirit would go before us, giving us great success in those efforts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.